Hi, and welcome to the Engineer's Backyard Barbecue. The Engineer's Backyard Barbecue podcast is where we discuss science, tech, politics, and whatever else comes to mind. Join us as we discuss our topics for this episode. My name is Benjamin Isa. I'll be your host today, and I'm joined today by our contributor going by the alias Finn. Finn, how are you doing? Good. Good. <laughs> also joining us today is our contributor Cameron. Cameron, how's it going? I'm doing well. And finally, but certainly not least, Dr. Dallin Barton, Saving Lives. Dallin, how are you? I'm doing fabulous, thanks. Uh, Today's episode of The Engineer's Backyard Barbecue is sponsored by the Sarah Obando Web Studio. If you need clean, sharp, professional website design fast, the folks at Sarah Obando Web Studio can help. Whether you're trying to increase your small business's online presence or just trying to get your branding project started from scratch, the Sarah Obando Web Studio can help. For more information, go to sarahobando.com. That's S-A-R-A-O-B-A-N-D-O.com. Today's topic will be one of the most uh, one of the country's most prominent businessmen, Elon Musk. Elon Musk was born in 1971 in South Africa in a position of relative privilege. He graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with degrees in both physics and economics in 1997. He was accepted into Stanford's PhD program in applied physics and material sciences. But before starting the program, he ventured into business, starting a web software development company, Zip2, that was ultimately purchased by the computer manufacturer Compax in 1999 for $340 million. He then went on to start another company called X.com that eventually merged with a company that became PayPal. He founded SpaceX, The Boring Company, Neuralink, and OpenAI. He is currently the CEO of SpaceX and Tesla and is the chairman of SolarCity. His net worth is around $84 billion, putting him in the top 10 richest people in the world, along with Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, and Warren Buffett. Musk's companies work in a variety of difficult, often challenging fields. From space flight to brain implants, his companies have a tendency to succeed where others have failed or even only fantasized. Still, Musk is not without controversy. From his harsh rhetoric, in one case referring to the lead diver of a rescue operation as a pedo guy after Musk's ideas for the operation were rejected, to falsely tweeting that he had secured funding for a private takeover of Tesla at a certain price in 2018, to the resulting legal trouble with the SEC, Musk has demonstrated at times a bombastic attitude and disdain for authority. Also in 2018, Musk told 60 Minutes that he did not respect the SEC, referring to them as, quote, short seller enrichment committee, close quote. In the midst of the early COVID-19 restrictions, he reopened his manufacturing plant against California law and then threatened to move to Texas after his request to reopen the plant was not accommodated. And Dallin, I want to start with you. You know, we every week talk about what kind of topics, what's happening in the country, or what do we want to talk about in the following podcast. And this was your suggestion. I thought it was a super interesting one. Can you talk a little bit about why this was someone or something you wanted to talk about today? Well, I just find Elon Musk fascinating. I mean, there are certainly qualities I don't try to emulate, um, but just how he's able to broaden himself to, I guess, inject himself into so many different fields and come out successful as um, whether or not you like him, he does um, bear a lot of success, both in um, Tesla and SpaceX are the biggest ones. Um, And both the automobile industry and the aerospace industry are very difficult to start and win. Um, Almost all car companies are decades old and the aerospace, even with uh, uh, even with major government backing, is uh, has always been troublesome. Just because um, with so with so much uh, energy required to get into space, and then not only the integrity of your structure required to survive space, it's always been a very very challenging field. And so the fact that he's actually able to achieve it, I find is at least on that aspect fascinating. Um, but also his ability to get away with stuff. I don't think your normal citizen would, um, particularly, as you mentioned, um, trying to flout the SEC, um, and most recently, um, 
him trying to open his uh, gigafactory up in California, despite the executive orders from California asking him to keep it closed. And so I, I think he's sort of a fascinating guy. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point and something I hadn't really thought about to that point, which was putting aside the controversy, and there is plenty to discuss there. In some ways, Elon Musk's kind of represents the best part of technology, right? Which is its ability to disrupt economic systems where, for whatever reason, the players, the the um, circumstances of a particular market like cars had maybe become more stagnant than they had uh, than they might have otherwise, right? It, it, in some ways, technology can, it seems like, help restore the capitalist balance, for lack of a better word. Uh, Cameron, did you have any thoughts about Elon Musk before we kind of got started into more detail? Um, not a lot. Uh, just kind of echoing what Dallin said. Um, I think he's a super fascinating guy. I really like what he's doing in the tech industry, just like the amount of innovation coming out of those companies and the amount of impact it's having, especially like, like SpaceX is, I'm a fan, I'm a SpaceX fanboy. Um, I, I will admit, <laughs> um, but just how much that is changing space flight and will continue to change it is just kind of mind boggling to me it is, um, it is, it's just really cool. Um, and then like the, the bit I haven't followed too much about Musk himself, mostly just the companies, but the little bit that I have heard sounds like kind of an interesting guy, Um, like lots of controversy around him. But 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 yeah, it's just I don't know. It's interesting. He's an interesting guy. But, you know, and kind of, you know, we were having a conversation before we started recording. And Cam, you kind of latched on to something that I kind of feel about elon musk too which is like look i think we we need to start moving the direction of electric cars uh you know with climate change and it it will just be better for society i think of all in the long run to move away uh from our uh, from our reliance on oil but on the other hand musk himself makes me uncomfortable you know when you think about the kind of figure you want to be successful in a capitalist system just from a kind of what would make me feel good, right? You really picture more of a Bill Gates, right? Someone who takes his wealth and, you know, doesn't have maybe the same bombastic nature, but who kind of is a little, and is really philanthropic. Not to say Elon Musk isn't, but he's he's not quite the thick picture you imagine when you think of the height of American business. Um, Finn, did you have any other thoughts you wanted to add here? Okay, well, I want to jump in then to our first topic. Perhaps Musk's most well-known company is Tesla, the electric car maker. Tesla is now worth more than Toyota and almost all other car companies combined, despite becoming profitable very recently. Its electric cars have received mixed but largely favorable reviews. It sold around 368,000 units in 2019, making it the leading producer of electric vehicles, having captured about 60% of the U.S. electrical vehicle market. Its consumer-level model, the Tesla 3, is the best-selling plug-in electric vehicle model in the world. Still, Tesla has captured only about 1.3% of the total vehicle market share in the United States, and its stock has suffered a correction over the past week, with analysts speculating that Tesla's stock may still be overvalued. Dallin, putting aside the immediate questions about the stock price, what does creating this type of growth mean for the future of the company? I think, well, it certainly gives them more capital. Tesla has taken advantage of the very high stock price um, from an investor standpoint. Um, the price per earnings ratio of, of Tesla is astronomically high. And so I think Tesla could, ex- if, if I were leading Tesla, I would try to sell more of my own stock to try to generate some capital. And this can only mean um, further um, further growth in the future in the company, which will allow for, you know, more factories, more employees, more research. And so um, I think Tesla is here to stay at least, at least for now. See, it's so funny you said that because 
you know, as we were preparing for this podcast, reading about the most recent stock market correction, I, I almost have the opposite point of view, right? Which is to say, this is a technology and public policy podcast, not necessarily a, a finance one. But for Tesla to be worth more than Toyota and yet have captured so little of the market share, particularly when its highest selling model now is the Model 3, which is comes in at like $35,000 for the base model. That's a high-end, but not like really high-end vehicle. It, it strikes me as somewhat mismatched. Is is the role of Tesla potentially over oversold here? Not to say that electric vehicles aren't necessarily important, but is Tesla's role potentially oversold or is its stock price potentially inflated? It's an interesting... Well, it's, cer- it's certainly inflated. Um, the question Tesla now faces is what they're going to do with the current inflation that they're working with. And also in the current economy, I don't think Tesla is alone. If you look at the S&P 500, that's sort of the S&P 5, meaning Amazon, Facebook, Google, um, the other two I can't think of. You know, all of those all of those companies now have really high price-to-earnings ratio. And so I don't know if it's part of the democratization of stock buying that's happened in the past 15 years, or if this is some sort of interesting trend with COVID damaging smaller companies while large, um, especially remote work from home companies are able to survive if this isn't going to be more of a permanent trend. But it is something, I guess, interesting to uh, it, it is something interesting and something to definitely look at. Um, one of the things, though, is that uh, looking at the current numbers, Tesla doesn't have a high share of, of the market. However, it's um, the number of cars that it produces every year increases every year. It, it certainly it certainly has high growth, not from just a stock valuation, but also from a cars being produced. And as the automobile industry is, well, not not the industry itself, as consumers are more and more willing to consider an electric car, I think Tesla will have an interesting um, interesting hold on the market, considering how much it already has already. I'm not quite sure other car manufacturers will be able to um, get an electric car that will quite as easily compete with Tesla. But I want to push back kind of on two points, right, which is that it's true that Tesla's market share may grow as interest in electric vehicles increases. But look, their their penetration of the EV market is still in and of itself at 60 percent. Right. Who's to say that as you know, people really start to think of electric vehicles as mainstream, that they won't buy a you know, won't look to Toyota or Nissan or Ford or whatever other car maker there's been. But. To, to the to the second point is doesn't the fact that they are increasing manufacturing represent a problem I mean we've all kind of seen the news about Tesla being plagued by its slow ability to get manufacturing going in part the reason I assume why uh, Elon Musk had such a temper tantrum about the covid 19 restrictions Finn did you want to weigh in on anything here yeah I was thinking on on two fronts one is um, I'm not a stock trader, but I have seen recently um, some articles that have been saying um, that the stock market itself, in particular because of COVID-19, has become much more of a gambler type market where a lot of the traditional ways to evaluate companies have kind of gone out the window. And people are now basing it more on like placing bets type thing, like is, is this company going to do good or not? And it's a mix of um, COVID-19 kind of messing with everything, but then also a lot of people being at home with extra capital that they didn't have before, plus um, new trading options like uh, Robinhood that have lowered the barrier to entry. You have a lot of people now who have entered the market who couldn't do it before, who are just kind of like buying, buying stocks based on their gut feeling, right? So for the best example of this is Hertz, who filed for bankruptcy and then they were trying to look at all the options that they had to um, pay off their debts, and one of which was selling stock. And traditionally, that's a really bad idea because you're going you're going bankrupt, and you don't want to sell stock or buy stock for a bankrupt company. But what ended up happening is because of this um, 
new scenario in the market right now. Their sky, their uh, their market price for Hertz actually like skyrocketed for whatever reason, and they went to a judge about it, and the judge said, "Well, you do have to fulfill your debts in any way. You do have an obligation to fulfill your debts in any way that you can. And if your stock market price for whatever reason is like going through the roof right now, then sell all your stock." So that's what happened, and it was like over a week period that their stock market stock price went up and then just like crashed right back down. And it was because of, I believe, from what I've seen and been hearing, it's a lot of these people that are in the market now that weren't there before and aren't looking at traditional um, indicators for what a company is doing to show if they're doing good or not. So I think that's kind of also followed Tesla. There's a lot of people who are behind Tesla and the idea that Elon Musk is pushing rather than whether or not they're actually doing good. And so there, the and and I've seen a couple ideas that the stock market may or may not get out of this in the future. It might change it going forward, or this might be a little blip just for COVID nineteen. And so that's part of the reason that I think their their stock price has just kind of like gone through the roof. Is there's a lot of people who are like, hey, they're profitable now, and I believe in them, so I'm going to buy stock. Does that mean that markets are going to be a less reliable indicator of the health of the company going forward? It would be if this trend follows forward, but it sounds like, Cameron, you have some more to say on that. So I did, I used to do quite a bit of stock trading and options trading. Um, so I've seen this a lot um, with COVID, right when that hit, the market just became ridiculously volatile, um, like very much, it's, it's basically pure gambling almost <laughs> um, in many ways. And Tesla, along with some others, is what you would call like a meme stock. Um, if any of you are on Reddit at all, there's a Wall Street Bets subreddit, and it's basically just people essentially gambling away their savings or whatever um, by purchasing call options or put options. And um, a large majority of the posts there are regarding Tesla. Um, and it, it, it really is just kind of a meme stock. I feel like a lot of people um, so you're like, oh, Tesla's stock price is going up. And then the news spreads to all these people that are just now getting in on, on the market and starting to trade. And everyone just goes for it and buys and buys. And it keeps going up and up and up. Um, and I, I, I think that's probably a lot of the reason why their stock price has increased so drastically over the last year or so. So, and this is a question for anyone. Does that mean that our listeners can correctly take away from our conversation here that we're a pretty Tesla skeptical group relative to kind of what it seems like the country as a whole thinks of Tesla? I, I think there's still like I still am one of the people that I believe in their motto and like what they're going for. And I get behind Tesla and I'd like to buy some of their stock. Their stock in particular has just kind of gone crazy. And I think it's probably still overvalued. I still want to buy it, but. I do think it has kind of gotten out of hand, though, in the current scenario. Same thing for me. Um, like, I think it's I think it's overvalued, but I do also think that there's a lot of potential there. Um, because, like, if you think of electric cars, Tesla is kind of the go-to company you think of with electric cars. And if that becomes more mainstream, which I think it will, um, like, they're, they're already ahead of the game, essentially in my mind. And I think there's a lot of growth potential there. Dallin, did you have something to add? If I was given the money, I would certainly purchase a Tesla. I think they'd be fun cars to drive, but I'm not sure I would have the confidence to put my money into something like Tesla. Um, if anything, also for the CEO, there's a non-zero chance that he'll end up in jail tomorrow. So, <laughs> um, but no, I don't think I'd, you know, I, I said I contemplated buying Tesla in the past and obviously I've lost out on a lot of money, but especially now that it's gone so far up, there certainly would be no way I would purchase it. But, you know, what you kind of just said there, Dallin, kind of gets to my overall feeling about Elon Musk companies, right? Which is that, look, Tesla just became profitable last year. SpaceX is um, doing some really, really cool stuff, but I don't think anyone doubts it will be a long time before they really become profitable. And 
that's why I do not really just and not to get too broad here, I do not understand the kind of Elon Musk fan base that has developed that sees him as this great entrepreneur, right? Sure, you can do stuff really cool stuff given the money but when it comes time to start making something that really makes an impact in the marketplace it matters that your ceo smokes marijuana publicly we can get into the merits of marijuana policy later but it is illegal whether you like it or not and you know doing that when you have investors who need to have confidence in you getting into insult matches with the sec right these are things that matter if you're going to get your company to the point where investors and consumers have enough confidence for you to really bring something to market that really impacts people broadly in a big way and so for that reason you just kind of run up i've always been skeptical of this like elon musk fandom i have to concede i don't understand it uh finn yes so i was um let, let me explain my viewpoint because i very much um I like I like the uh, the idea of what they're going for. So, um, uh, was it a podcast or something? Anyway, I, I read an article or heard something recently. Um, it was a YouTube video. I forgot what they were talking about exactly. It was just maybe it was a TEDx talk. Um, the guy was making a point uh, about how companies sell products, and he made a really good point that I liked. That maybe not is true in every single case, but I think is true in the most part is that. People buy the why you are doing things and not necessarily the how or the what. So he used the example of like Apple computers uh, in the early 2000s versus who is there still? Um, Dell and Compaq and some other ones. So Dell and Compaq and some of the other manufacturers, they were making computers and they said they had they had um, just a product and they're like, here, here's a computer. But Apple had like a mission statement. They had a why. Like they were there saying like we make the absolute best. Like um, I forget the way you phrased it. It was a really good way. But essentially, like you know, we're here on a mission to like make the best user interface in in the most beautiful package. Make it so your life is easier. And we also make computers um, type thing. As I didn't phrase it the best, but. Um, that idea of like we are here on a mission to make your life better here's also a computer we make do you want the computer and people liked that idea of like so they bought into that for apple and whether or not that's like true in every case like they do make really good computers but um they seem to whether or not that's still true today in 2020 but back then they definitely had kind of more of a an idealistic with um tim cook like a vision of where they were going um, and people buy into that vision a lot more than they do or would, um, like just just a computer that's like, cool, here's a computer, but uh, if it works or not, it's up to you, you'll find out. Um, so similar with like Elon Musk, um, like I get behind Musk not because um, like his, he does have some personality quirks and things that I don't agree with, but his goals that he's shooting for is he wants to get all of humanity off of um, oil and gas and like uh, non-renewables and he also wants to get humans to Mars and those are like his two biggest goals and I think both of those are like awesome and fantastic like it would be really nice if we got everyone off of non-renewables onto renewable energy and his, his ventures into solar and electric cars are oh, in that going that way and then also going to Mars he's put kind of like um, he's walking the walk instead of just talking the talk in that he said like I will even sell all of my possessions to prove that like I am just here to go to Mars like I don't want to have anything tie me back down to Earth and so he's been doing that recently and he recently sold his home over in I don't know somewhere expensive California um, and everything, a lot of other stuff that, you know, I don't know if he's, he has to have something left because he's still here. But um, in, in general, though, like he's he's got that vision of what he wants to go for that's like bettering humanity. Um, and I do agree with that and I get behind that. And so um, their push for electric cars to get us off oil and gas and more into a renewables, I think is really good among their other companies going those directions as well. No, that's, that's certainly the appeal of Elon Musk is that money is money appears to be tertiary to him where it it's barely a means to an end and everything else is just making cool stuff. Uh, 
when he when he unveiled the Cybertruck, and um, I watched the little Jay Leno's Garage um, episode where uh, where Elon takes Jay Leno and uh, for a ride in a Cybertruck, and he was explaining why it's bulletproof. Jay Leno's like, why do you bother making this car bulletproof? And he's like, who doesn't want to drive a bulletproof car? And I think from an economic standpoint, that's just ridiculous because no one should would want to spend the extra $5,000 to, to, to have the steel strong enough to make it bulletproof, but you know, why not? And so there, there is certain that, certainly that appeal to him. Yeah. But forgive me for my skepticism here, right? Which is that, you know, Call me, maybe I'm being mean-spirited here, but I'm going to go ahead and say Elon Musk, you know, these these are playthings of the wealthy, right? Which is that if you really want a better humanity, you don't talk about going to Mars, right? You talk about doing what the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has done, right? Which is that you spend your money not just in philanthropic ende- endeavors, but you apply the same kind of ingenuity and kind of entrepreneurial spirit to philanthropic or charitable problems in developing countries, right? Call me skeptical, but I I don't think going to Mars or getting some rich person who's willing to pay for a ticket to Mars counts for a lot, uh, given kind of the situation on Earth and the fact that most humans will not benefit directly from that in their lifetime. So, counterpoint, um, I do think it's definitely something to consider that it, you don't want to be putting all your eggs in one basket. And so whether that is, um, so, so in this case, you know, things in the, trying to get my idea formulated here. Right. So if you have engineers at NASA who are pushing for getting to the moon, there were actually some really big significant discoveries they made along the way getting out to the moon that trickled down into society and things we use every day came out of that like space mission. Um, Whereas you also need other people who are trying to solve uh, getting a vaccine for pandemics, which there are lots of people doing right now and they were before the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, You also need people trying to figure out how to solve world hunger and genetically modify, or if you don't want to go that route, or just how to like farm better and do other things, um, make sure we can feed everyone uh, and lift the poor out of poverty and get, like, I don't, I don't think you want to go all in one direction. And so I think it's, so in that sense, I do recognize in the past, we've had some pretty significant good things come out of. Um, some of these endeavors, including like going to the moon and space exploration, that doesn't immediately seem um, beneficial. And and the other thing too is like that's just him. Like there's not everyone in the world is trying to go to Mars. Like if we've just got one super rich person trying to go to Mars, like all right, great. Everyone else can work on everything else. We can have him doing that, and we cover all our bases, and hopefully we get something useful. Not that we actually need to go to Mars, but maybe along the way we discover some useful things that we can actually use uh, in society, which I think definitely would help um, in, in that front. And I guess I'm not so much disputing that. Um, I guess I'm not so much disputing that the effort to go to the moon, that these kind of long range endeavors have intrinsic value. I'm not disputing that at all. I guess what I'm saying is for someone like Elon Musk to, or, or for some consumer for, you know, the reason I don't understand these fans is because I'm not sure I buy this image of Elon Musk as an entrepreneur who just wants to help humanity move forward, right? His disdain for rules his belief that, you know, his company's priorities move above the what he sees as incompetence of public health officials, right? He strikes me a lot more as a rich person trying to do fun stuff, not really as someone trying to bring someone massively something to the market that really makes a widespread uh, that gives widespread value, right? So I, I am not disputing there is value in spending time and money on these scientific ex- endeavors, even if the benefits are not immediately clear. I'm just saying that I don't buy this argument that Elon Musk is motivated or his behavior suggests he's doing this for some altruistic purpose. Um, does anyone have any final word on this point before we move on to SpaceX? 
Well, I, th I think that point was certainly true when he started. Tesla didn't start as a as a general consumer product. It was a it was a cool car. It was a it was a show car. Um, one of the things electric motors do for you is you can actually put electric motors in each of the individual wheels, and so you get so you get an order of magnitude of extra torque compared to a gasoline or diesel driven engine. And so he definitely started Tesla as a sports car manufacturer and has only, you know, recently transitioned into something that could be affordable by even the upper middle class. And so, you know, I think the, the story of Elon Musk is certainly not done to call him philanthropic during his first years, I think would certainly be um, naive at best. Well, but he had to do that to break into the market, right? Because you can't just mass manufacture. Like right now, he's making Model 3, Model Ys, but in like huge gigafactories. And especially the one he's putting up in Texas right now is like, that, that thing he's building out there is massive. So to like churn out these cars in the, in, in the amount that he needs to do, he needs a lot of money and a lot of capital. So the way that he was able to do that was to start small with really expensive one-off cars, um, which was was before the Model S. It was the, um, of course, I can't think of the name right now. But Model X, I think it was. No, X was the van that came after the S, the Roadster. So he started with the Roadster, which was a really expensive, tiny car that rich people bought, but that, that allowed him to build up capital to then build factories who could then move down the line to make cheaper cars. Hmm. Yeah, this is a really interesting discussion, and I, I take the point that making things for rich people is a, is an important starting point to gain entry to markets, right? Computers were only for corporations and the wealthy, but that process propagated them down, and uh, I I hear you on that point, and I, I think there's truth to that. I color me skeptical that though that of this kind of idea of Elon Musk as an as a gift to humanity by pursuing these endeavors. But I, you're right about that, and I and I hear what you're saying. Before we go forward, I want to let you all know and remind our listeners that this episode of the Engineers Backyard Barbecue is sponsored by the Sarah Obando Web Studio. If you need clean, sharp, professional website design fast, the folks at the Sarah Obando Web Studio can help. Whether just trying to increase your small business's online presence or just trying to get your branding project started from scratch, the Sarah Obando Web Studio can do it all. For more information, go to sarahobando.com. That's S-A-R-A-O-B-A-N-D-O dot com. We're back and we want to talk a little bit now about SpaceX. Despite having a 60-year head start, SpaceX has created a system that can now launch things into space for an order of magnitude less money than what NASA has ever achieved. Indeed, NASA has operated on a $20 billion annual budget and SpaceX's valuation is $46 billion, meaning that if you sold all of SpaceX, you could fund two years worth of NASA. Now, NASA does have a wider scope, including telescopes, Mars rover missions, and fundamental science, but considering how much more efficient SpaceX is and the current financial affairs of the United States government, should we leave space exploration to private affairs? Should we start retiring NASA? Is the reliance on government projects on private ventures healthy? And should I have proofread this introduction to see how many hypothetical questions it included? <laughs> Dallin, why don't you... <laughs> Dallin, why don't you go ahead and start us off on that question? Or, or Finn, why don't you go ahead and start us off on that question? Um, uh, first, I'd like to point out that it's actually like a pretty big deal that humanity has reached the point now where um, private companies can actually do space exploration. Like that's actually like huge. Because um, I think like the timeline of humanity, like to get to the point where private companies actually have enough capital and means and whatever else to actually go do space exploration, like that's, that's a really big deal. Um, whether or not, I think it's still worth having the government do it. And it's nice that we've got some competitors now, quote unquote, some uh, private companies that can do it as well, whether we compete with them or use them to do it cheaper. Um, it, it forces NASA to be cheaper um, because they're not, because previously they were the only ones doing it, right? And so if their budget was 
50 billion dollars like cool that must be what it is because they're obviously they know what they're doing but if you've got a different startup now or a a new company that comes along that can actually do it in the private space and they can do it for five million or less or whatever the price is like that kind of makes everyone take a step back and say oh oh this is actually doable for a lot less than we're paying NASA at the moment so I think that's one of the benefits that's come out of it and an interesting thing that I want to add in here is that we over time NASA's budget has increased like or not increased up uh, the the ratio of what they're spending on rockets and things versus what they're paying their engineers they've kept their engineers unfortunately at like almost i think like it's still at like 50,000 a year from like the moon till now and like almost hasn't changed but the budget that they spend on rockets is way disproportionate to that so they've got people there who are working with not not a they've got like the best equipment but their engineers are overworked and uh don't it's hard for them to recruit others. So now that we've got a private company, it's good. I think it's a good kick in the butt for the government to kind of like look at things again and maybe rework the budget. And definitely needs to look at. Um, but I think it's still worth having NASA, whether they use SpaceX or Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic, or if they just build alongside them and take from the private companies and learn from them. It's, I think it's still nice to have that. Dual per, or dual going along. Cameron, what's the future of NASA and space exploration? Um, in my opinion, I think that NASA should just kind of stick more towards the science end of space exploration, like maybe focus more on like the rover, like probes, those sort of things. But leave launch systems um, completely up to private companies. So like use SpaceX rockets or some, for example. Uh, like if you look at the SLS rocket that NASA's um, working on to get back to the moon, like I think it's about $1 billion per launch for that. And half of that cost is in four rocket motors that are disposable. And it's like just the cost of using that system is ridiculous. And um, I just think that it's best to stick with these private companies like, like SpaceX. And one thing that I really like about SpaceX is just the amount of kind of like competition that they've brought to the market um, among private companies. Before SpaceX, you, most rockets probably came from what is now owned by um, like ATK Thaikal, which is now owned by Northrop Grumman or United Launch Alliance, and, and that's about it. But now you've got SpaceX that is just slashing the cost of launches for anybody that wants to put something into space. So then you have all these other companies that keep popping up. Um, I was just looking real quick on, on Google just to see what launch systems there are made by private companies. And there's a lot of them that are due to have first launches within like the next five to 10 years or so. Uh, like there's a lot of companies uh, just suddenly starting to pop up that are wanting to get in on this game. And as more and more private companies get involved, the cost will continue to go down and space flight will get better and better over time. So I guess to sum it up, go private companies should for sure be the ones building the launch systems and NASA, if they want to stick around, they can do more of the science-y sort of things. Okay, but isn't there a regulatory question here? I mean, maybe I'm misremembering my international law class, but I believe we just kind of call space the common heritage of mankind, which in and of itself seems kind of presumptuous. But if don't you need at a minimum a regulatory agency, right? Aren't there legal questions about what the role of, you know, private companies, what they can and can't do, what is U.S. airspace, right? Especially as it gets cheaper and more possible for private companies to enter space and for satellites and for poorly done satellites to damage each other. I mean, aren't there questions that require some kind of government intervention, Dallin? Uh, yeah, I believe 
I mean, everything needs some sort of regulation so um, people don't make major mistakes. Um, the question about NASA, though, is is a little interesting, as um, Finn pointed out. Um, the the raises for NASA engineers really haven't increased over the last while, and they weren't paid super well at the beginning either because it was mostly just a privilege to launch something into space, something that's never done before. Um, but certainly now, since the pay is so low, um, at least in my field, most um, respectable up-and-coming engineering students don't really consider NASA as a viable option. Maybe a company that will contract for NASA, but very rarely NASA themselves. Um, that being said, there's there. I think there certainly should be regulatory commissions. You have the FCC, you have um, the oh the FAA, the aviation, um, the things the things that require control towers. I believe if you're going to take things that move very fast and very far, um, there should certainly be some regulations um, put in on it. Currently, if I understand international laws right, space is always considered neutral neutral ground but uh, of course maybe nullified a tiny bit by the space force that was recently created however um in, in order to maintain that sort of neutrality i think companies should certainly be subject to some uh, government regulatory um committee or at least some standard rules and laws considering it yeah i think uh we definitely need regulation i mean there's and and the issue a lot of the issues right now we're already starting to deal with it's that we haven't had private companies who could actually reach space prior or previously but now they can um i mean another one of elon musk companies starlink for example just launched what was it six thousand or sixty thousand i'm in order off there i don't know which way though um like a ton of satellites for internet and a lot of people were complaining both um for it blocking the stars, but also space junk, because we're starting to get, um, uh, if anyone knows this, um, or didn't know this, we have a crap ton of satellites already orbiting the Earth, and we're getting more and more every day, and especially since um, Space Starlink just launched another 6,000. So they're in different orbits, mind you. That's So that's one thing to consider. If they're different orbits, you can add more in each orbit, but we're still starting to fill up all the orbits with a bunch of uh, satellites. And, and like you were saying earlier, it only takes one poorly made satellite or a bug in a one made satellite to cause it to crash into another one. You get a cascading effect similar to mm, the movie Gravity, where you just get like tiny little bits of pieces that are flying super fast, act like bullets that just shred through anything they come. And anything that they destroy becomes more tiny little bullets. So uh, anyway, like just takes one bad misconfigured thing to ruin everyone's day from all the countries up in space. So we definitely need regulation up there. The The thing is we've been dragging our feet a little bit, especially in the United States, uh, about entering into how to do that properly because we haven't had a lot of companies up there yet. I mean, we're only one really bad crash that cascades to others away from having a whole mess to deal with that's going to cause all the regulations to be uh, drawn up at that point. And correct me if I'm wrong, but SpaceX's role is relatively limited at this point, right? They're still only doing routine, like, filling message, uh, uh, filling or, like, supply missions, there we go, for the International Space Station directed by NASA, right? They're not, they're not doing anything on their own up to this point. Am I understanding that correctly? Is Starlink, Starlink is separate from SpaceX, right, I believe. But Starlink is a separate venture that has launched upwards of 6,000 satellites now. Yeah, that definitely seems like you would need some kind of inter, uh, some kind of intervening agency there to at nothing, if for no other reason than to coordinate those efforts. Cameron? Yeah, like um, talking about regulation, I do you guys happen to know if there is like any sort of international regulation, because I've always thought about this with Starlink because they got permission from the FCC to do this. But I'm just kind of wondering on the international scales, like what's to stop a company from like the US completely screwing everything else up for the rest of the world? Right. As I recall from my international law class, the only worldwide treaty that applies says that the that space is the common heritage of mankind. Right. So 
in theory, precluding people from laying stake to specific parts of space or territory or things like that. And, you know, all that goodwill will go out the window when someone finds something valuable that we can really access from there. From what I can see, all of the regulatory um, stuff just pertains only to arms. I think the I think most regulations were written during the Cold War. And so I think most of the peace agreements, most of the agreements relating to space is, you know, having some, not having some sort of satellite that can drop nukes from space. I think that's mostly what they were going for. I don't think they were worried about having 6,000 simultaneous satellites in the same orbit. I, I think that was less their concern when these laws were written. So it'll probably require some revisitation as SpaceX expands and other rocket companies expand. Um, the launching of satellites into space. Good point. Uh, I want to move us along because we have one more topic to go to, which is Neuralink. And Dallin, can I ask you to introduce Neuralink for us? So Neuralink, uh, a couple weeks ago, Elon Musk walked out with a pig that was uh, connected to this device um, where the brain can essentially interface um, potentially inter interface with electronic commands. And so their ultimate goal and their ultimate mission is to connect a human brain, um, do human studies where a brain is attached to a network of wires that could send signals to some sort of microprocessing unit that could then control other things. Um, the the initial potentials of all of these include you know helping paralytics or some sort of um or people with disabilities um control their life more easily and then from a more far-reaching aspect um having um just using your brain without um any other user interfaces to control lots of things and so as with other computer user interfaces as you improve the efficiency of user interfaces, you could also potentially improve the efficiency of the work that you accomplish. Um, so it's a big, it's a, it's a certainly unexplored field that I think has um, lots of questions concerning um, both the potential, um, the risk, and what ethics do you apply to, um, to do something like this. Uh, Cameron, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so, like, part of me thinks that this is a potentially very, very cool world-changing thing if it can work. And the other part of me is extremely skeptical. I don't know. Anything fiddling around with a brain just kind of has me cringing a little bit. Um, but But at the same time, there's been some other devices that have changed the lives of some people. Like um, I know there's an implant sort of thing for, to help people with Parkinson's so that they don't suffer from the side effects nearly as much. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence on this one on how I feel like, I, th I think it should be researched and looked into and I'll just kind of go from there. See, see what I feel as it goes. Yeah, and it definitely needs research, and then it, it ends up being just kind of a everything can be used for good and bad, right? Um, like if if you want to do some weird stuff with it, you probably can. But the ultimate goals that he has got for it is to um, to be able to help interface uh, between the brain and the spine, any any uh, like disconnect there. So if you can breed brain signals and skip over the brain stem or the neck and go directly into the, the nerves in the back and some other locations, then you can help people that have some degenerative diseases or paralysis or other things. It's just kind of anyone who can't use their arms anymore, you can give them that back. Uh, and that's his first goal. I don't know about other goals after that, but first goal would be that. Um, so in the pig demo, which was interesting, um, they they showed the... the um, where they showed it walking on a treadmill and they had a side shot and saw you could see where the pig's legs were and then the Neuralink was guessing based on this the stimulation it was reading out of the brain where the legs should have been and it matched up pretty 
pretty well and there's some improvement to be made for sure but that was the goal there is that like if you were to lose like something from the neck down you need to use your legs again it could read your brain signals anticipate where your legs need to be and then send that signal directly to your legs and skip over anything in the middle that might be broken or or whatever else so and then it becomes an ethics issue of like how far do you want to take that because the first thing is just to fix amputees or um paralysis but if you want to actually i don't and, and that's the first goal maybe after that i don't know how much further down the line they'd be able to then actually control other things directly in the brain because right now you're not they're not trying to control the brain or things in it they're trying to read the brain and the signals coming out of it yeah i really struggled to um it's just so hard to think and project out a technology like this, what are the implications really going to be, right? I think the medical implications, you know, seem tremendous. Um, I guess I'm just skeptical, right? We'll have to wait and see um, what the research ultimately indicates, but but color me skeptical of this one that we are are ready to be this technologically intertwined with our our brains in that way. I have no ethics qualms about it, but color me skeptical that they end up pulling something like that off, say, during our lifetimes. Well, but they've already got prosthetics, right, that can read um, from the uh, nerve endings, for example, in the end of a cutoff arm, connecting that to a prosthetic. They've already ha- they already have prosthetics that you can curl the fingers individually, and I think that's the most advanced one we have at the moment where you can control each individual finger just by reading the nerves at the end of uh, like a stump. So they're just moving the, the head, right? So I, I don't think it's that far out to do that kind of stuff because we're already there. They're just kind of changing up where they're reading those signals from. Yeah, but there's a big difference, right, between nerve endings and the brain, surely. Maybe I'm revealing my huge medical ignorance here but that sounds like really different tasks to me it could be and i'm not a medical professional either so that that would be where my knowledge base ends and so it could be different could be similar and at least in terms of like how close we are to actually achieving that um i I, and yeah i'm just basing it off of i know we've got some prosthetics that work that way already so maybe the brain wouldn't be that much different but maybe it is it certainly does feel star trekky to me some sort of board type thing where you're interfacing yourself with the machine and so i think that's you know assuming that assuming that it's even feasible i think a lot of questions about our own humanity will start being questioned but perhaps not we we've most of us have built careers now just sitting our bodies in front of a computer typing away which doesn't require a lot of physical effort anymore and so maybe this is just maybe the step isn't as large as we think it is although drilling holes into people's skulls does seem quite invasive so so it'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to see how this plays out certainly i think too young to um pass any major solid judgments here but the 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 idea of uh people pursuing Neuralink by the same guy that has already done all of this other stuff Um, I think that this will be a little bit interesting to look at. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Dallin, and thank you to all our contributors. You've been listening to the Engineers Backyard Barbecue podcast with our contributors Dallin, Cameron, and Finn. I'm your host, Benjamin Isa. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Bye.